That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Hey, Jake, here we are, headed deep into uh, summer. We've got here now, gosh, we're already on the, the dog fifth, days of the, summer. The fifth Sunday after Pentecost. Here we are, headed into Fourth of July weekend. Mm. I don't know. We we tread lightly. We have a few of the patriotic hymns, but we don't fill the nave with mm-hmm. uh, flags. Uh, I know you have um, fireworks, and you have your processional banner carried by somebody wearing stilts in an Uncle Sam costume. You, <laughs> you you lean into it pretty hard. Is that right? And fried chicken for everybody. That's right. Uh, you know what's delicious is you know what is delicious. One of the best things is fried chicken skin from Kentucky Fried Chicken with just like a pinch of that coleslaw. Mm. Mm. That says Fourth of July to me. My mouth is watering. That's what George Washington <laughs> fought for, clearly. Yeah, that's right. That well, and your guns. So, but uh, <laughs> just kidding. Whoop, I just I just saw some lights uh, go out. I know. I swallowed. I swallowed it. Yeah. I didn't go any further. But anyway, um, our readings today, though, you know, and one of the things, if you do want to talk a little bit about, you know, Independence Day or whatnot, uh, don't, don't, don't. Don't stick there, but you can talk about how, as Christians, we don't celebrate our independence from anything. We celebrate our complete and total dependence upon God's grace, His mercy, and His love given to us in Jesus Christ. And uh, nothing says that louder than our readings this week. Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 5 through 9. Romans, Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. And Matthew 10, verses 40 to 42. That's right. So we begin uh, jumping uh, around in Jeremiah. You know, uh, we just did mm. for the um, the the previous Sunday uh, in Jeremiah twenty. So now we're eight chapters ahead, and uh, there's a this is a great passage to preach on. There's a lot one could say, but you do have to kind of go into the background of the whole story because what has happened is Jeremiah has now been preaching messages of warning that judgment is coming if Israel doesn't get its act together and um, it's the people have been non-responsive and one of the things that God has asked Jeremiah to do is in his own body act out almost like a pantomime yes. with props like these bad things that are going to happen because people Be are a living illustration Jeremiah that's, a that's living right. illustration that's right so like a like those wind dancers like we will buy gold <laughs> you know like trying to get people's attention so this time he says, make a yoke and put it on your neck and basically say, mm-hmm. you are going to be yoked to all these evil kings, Nebuchadnezzar and whatnot. Uh, he's going to crush you if you don't come back yeah. to the Lord. And so and you're going into slavery. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, here, Jeremiah um, meets another prophet, this prophet Hananiah. And they're in the house of the Lord. They're in the temple in Jerusalem. And um, he has just said... 
no, there's not going to be a yoke against us. God is going to break the yoke, and it's going to be fantastic. He actually forces the guards or whatever to come up to Jeremiah and take the yoke off of him and say, no, no. He's like he's like a motivational speaker. He's like, Jeremiah, you just got to think positive. It's going to be great. And, you know, we know Nebuchadnezzar has stolen some of the golden fancy vessels from the temple. and But don't worry, he's going to bring them back in two years, everybody. Again, I'm just talking, thinking about what we said last Sunday, kind of the prosperity gospel messages. Your best days are ahead of you. Come on, think positive, Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and and Jeremiah says, like, I wish that nope. were true, but unfortunately... It's not. And instead of having a yoke, a yoke of wood, actually now it's going to be a yoke of iron. So if you want to talk about this, you have to kind of tell some of that story. So do your homework. Um, but I think the word can be Christianity invites you not into your life is getting better every day in every way. Um, Christianity invites you into a place of reality. And sometimes we go through times of suffering. Again, continuing that theme from last week. And those are broken places where God tends to work in us to make us the people he wants us to be, people who trust not in ourselves but in him, which ultimately is a much better place to be. Narcissism is a terrible place to live. And so this is an invitation to dependence on God and not ourselves. So there's, I think, a big homiletic uh, and pastoral payoff in this passage, but you do have to do some work to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This is, and I, I agree, and I, I love this scene, and I think you can really, uh, you can, um, you can really, uh, like, paint the scene. I mean, this is an awkward moment. So here they are in front of all of the crowds, and this guy is just basically going on. Kind of reminds me of um, uh, a church council that I know that just loves to talk about everything is in abundance and going great. Uh, well, everything is not, and, uh, you know, this is uh, the two, two, Two people, and uh, one person is just talking about how everything's amazing, but literally death is right on the door. God is saying, "Wake up!" with this like awkward, and and that with this awkward guy who's a living illustration, as we said. And indeed, uh, God, uh, God oftentimes is speaking to you not through things that are comfortable, mm. but He's speaking clearly to you through the things that are awkward and uncomfortable in your life. Turn around and take a look at that. And, uh, and then Jeremiah, Sorry. exactly. But then uh, Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah uh, teaches the crowd about well, what is prophecy? And he's like, really, this doesn't seem to add up with everything else we've heard. You know, uh, the prophets before us have talked about what would happen if we were unfaithful. They prophesied war, famine, pestilence, and all of this has come true. And I'm still saying the same thing. I mean, you know, and then he goes into this thing. He says, as for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent a prophet. Now, there is your gospel hook when you're preaching this text. Because this harkens back to Deuteronomy 18 to tw- uh, like 18:20, where uh, you, Moses tells them, tells the people of Israel that God is going to raise up one from their midst who will be like Moses, and who will uh, truly, indeed, prophesy, uh, and that they should listen to everything he says. And indeed, this prophet has come in Jesus Christ. Uh, because, I mean, without that, there is nothing but war and rumors of war and pestilence and disease. And everywhere I look, it seems awkward and judgment is on my life. 
But there has been one who was not only a prophet, but a priest and a king who's been raised up on a cross and has made peace between Jew and Gentile and has more importantly made peace between humanity and God Mm. by the shedding of his blood and the tearing down of the walls of hostility that existed us. And that prophet is Jesus Christ. Well... Uh, that'll preach on Independence Sunday. And <laughs> yeah, now, you are dependent on him. That's right. Now we turn to Romans 6, chapter tw- verses 12 through 23. Again, continuing what we were reading last week, this question about sin and the life of the believer, and if the gospel is true and grace is uh, free and blah, 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 and we're loved, and does that mean you don't have to do anything? And then these Christians are noticing, well, sin still happens, so how do I think mm. through that? Now, this passage, you have to... Um, be careful because it can absolutely be read as just Paul bringing people back under the law because he says things like do not let sin exercise dominion in your bodies and don't present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness there's a lot of commandment sort of language Um, and what Paul is doing here is he's describing um, what it is like to be someone who has sin in their lives and how it feels like slavery, how it feels like you have no willpower to resist. Um, And what's interesting is he doesn't say, stop, bad dog. No, Mm. don't, just don't do it. He doesn't, he does not, that's not, he, he makes he wants his readers to see that there are forces inside of us and outside of us that are controlling us, mastering us. And so to sort of fight against these things is actually going to get us tangled more um, in them. And so he's actually inviting you not to just, oh, going to grip my teeth and white knuckle it and stop sinning. He's in, he's actually inviting you to have a mental transformation and a heart transformation because he's not saying just stop sinning, which is how many people simply read this passage. What he's saying is realize that this is a um, something that is out of your control, that's sort of pulling the strings, um, and your recourse, what you do, is to come back again and again to... God and to him being the one that's, um, you know, holding the reins. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you want to know what this looks like, read the 12 steps of AA, where it doesn't begin like, I realized that alcohol was bad. And number two, I decided to stop drinking. And three, I tried really hard to stop drinking. And I poured down all my alcohol down the drain. And then number four, and I was sober. No, it begins by saying, (laughs) I realized I was, it's only four steps. Completely Um, helpless. Yeah, it it says... um, I realized, we realized that we admitted that our lives w- were um, unmanageable and we were powerless to change them. And then realizing that if you turned your life over to a higher power, then you could be, uh, you could experience freedom and sobriety. And so That's it's, absolutely right. it's that kind of dynamic that Paul is inviting people into. Now, our, our ears are so trained to hear the law. We're like, oh, Paul is just saying not to sin because we've been forgiven, mm-hmm. but don't mess up because if you run out of forgiveness, oh, wouldn't want to be you. So he's he, what he's saying is I invite you to live not under law, but under grace. And yeah. in the life of the Christian, which is not an upward climb, it's not a linear ascent, it's a circular life. You come back around again and again and again like a spiral to this place where, oh, I'm under grace, not under law. I am, um, I am, I have died to to mm-hmm. sin and my old self and I've now been raised to new life 
And this amazing thing, verse 617, you want to know why this passage is not just preaching law and just, you know, be, be obedient, just do it. It's this, he says, having once been slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart. If your obedience yes. doesn't feel like it's from the heart, then that's not what Paul is talking about. Yes. The kind of gospel obedience is one where you don't even realize you're doing it. You actually want to do the thing. It's not this internal battle. Two wolves are fighting inside every person, and which one do you yeah. for? You know, it's not that at all. Um, and so Paul is trying to get people that. So, so that's the kind of way you want to talk about this. Like Paul is inviting you to change your mind and your heart, to not sort of be in this willpower battle, which you will lose, uh, but instead to have this transformation and to rest. Um, and you, you might actually find, knowing that you're loved and freed, you might actually find that those things have less power over you, and you then begin to see what he calls obedience from the heart. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely right. I think um, the only way to deal with sin in a person's life is not steps to do. Uh, whether it be uh, the sin of racism, whether it be the sin of uh, misogyny, whether it be the sin of just laziness, whether whatever sin it may be, uh, the way that it is dealt with, the way that it is bound is by imputing to a person, uh, declaring that God has already done for you what God has said he will do for you. And so the idea here is not a list of to-do projects for people, but to remember that they are to present their member, members, their parts of their body, their whole lives as instruments of righteousness. Um, and uh, in this age, it is only received by faith, which God gives to believe what he's declared about you, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, despite what you may be seeing and despite what you may be experiencing. This is this is all we've got. This is a this is a thing we forget. This is all we've got simply a promise that sin no longer a declaration that sin no longer has dominion over you because you're not under the law but under the grace of God in Christ. And uh, that's really surprising to most people at first because we think that the law is the answer to sin and the way to improve the sinner, give them things to do, but it isn't. The power of sin is the law, and what gives death is its poisonous sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And so this is how God deals with it, by bringing us out from underneath the law as his children and under his grace, his undeserved free forgiveness in Christ. Yeah. In Christ, sin no longer has dominion because Christ has dominion. And this is the thing, and when you are in Christ, he claims absolutely all of you. And so, uh, all of you, and because he claims all of you, he has made all of you righteous. I was just thinking, is it John John Legend? All of me. Exactly. Loves Need all of you. All. That's right. Yeah. And, Christ, and God in Christ loves all of you. But I think that's really the key to um, preaching this text, is you have to remember where Paul says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. That isn't a suggestion. You know what I mean? That isn't like a hopeful wish. That is a declarative promise over you that changes everything about you yeah. before God. Yeah, and it's so counterintuitive. Again, we think the key to beating sin in our life is having more law, more control. Yeah. Mm, give it to me. Increase the accountability. It'll make me, mm. and it, it has the opposite effect. 
So he says grace is what actually produces the kind of life you want to see. And it it it's mm-hmm. so this this verse is it's kind of trolling a little bit. This passage actually is trolling Independence Day. Uh, because <laughs> that's good. It does say it doesn't say you are you can be you can be free. It says either you are a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. Yeah. Uh, but you're never a free person. It's very down on like the idea that we can be free individuals. Um, sort of the Ann Rand, um, uh, yeah. you know. You all got to serve somebody. As Bob Dylan, aka uh-huh. Robert Zimmerman, said, you got to serve somebody. So that's right. So. Um, in Christian life, perfect freedom is service to God. Uh, so we move on now to, um, oh, by the one final thing, verse 22, you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God. The advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. Just note that that is a process that is worked out. It is true today, once and for all, but it is also worked out over time in our lives. So um, don't don't get over-realized in your eschatology. Amen. Don't don't think that you need to be 100% perfect today. Um, one, you are 100% perfect in Christ, and also God will work that out over time in your life, and, and you'll be amazed. All right, mm-hmm. Matthew 10, quick verse, quick three, just three verses, 40 through 42. Jesus says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me to his disciples. He says, whoever welcomes a prophet, in the name of a prophet, receives a prophet's reward, etc. And then whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. So to, to me, this is um, a, kind of how Jesus begins by talking about how he identifies with the weak, uh, with small, insignificant people. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me is a pretty amazing thing to say to the disciples. These are fishermen, mm-hmm. blue-collar folks mostly, um, really insignificant people in the Roman Empire. And he's saying, but if they welcome you into their house, you're, they're welcoming me, the Lord of the universe. Uh, and if they welcome me, they welcome the Father. So there's a claim to deity here, important to see that. Uh, but basically Jesus is saying, I'm willing to be identified with you people that's um which is pretty powerful which means for the people in the congregation uh they probably don't think of themselves as being uh folks that jesus would want to you know uh be represented by like you know but but he did or they think they've got to do something like going back to this misunderstanding of romans chapter six yeah they've got to do something to identify with jesus but here's this is this is really what jesus is getting at is that and this is what makes Christianity so counterintuitive, is that every other religion is about man becoming gods. Mm. And this is the religion about God becoming man and identifying with you yeah. in everything. And uh, he so identifies with you that he becomes sin so that you might become uh, the righteousness of God. And so um, and so uh, that is why they're welcoming him in, because uh you are the righteous person uh, who has been given the name of the one righteous person. And so, uh, you know, this is, I think that's the heartbeat of what these two little verses are all about. Yeah, and there's that strong... Is uh, God identifying with you. Yeah, there's this strong imputational energy here as well, which you talked about, you know, imputation as being the thing, not telling people to get better, but treating them as if they are loved and accepted and forgiven and, and righteous, and that transforms. Here he says this wonderful thing, whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Now, who is a prophet? Well, there have been lots of prophets, but the prophet who is speaking in this passage is Jesus Christ. And That's so, right. in a sense, he's saying whoever welcomes 
Jesus will receive Jesus's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person, now who is the one righteous person? Jesus will receive the reward of the righteous. So if you welcome Jesus, the prophet, the righteous one, you receive the same reward as the prophet, the righteous one, Jesus. You get, you are a co-heir with Christ of all things in heaven and earth. You are, um, you are as, as loved um, by the Father as Jesus Christ is loved by the Father. You are totally accepted, um, adored by God. And this is just an incredible thing. So, so um, knowing that the prophet, the righteous one, is Jesus and knowing that you get this. Because normally if you have some big fancy dignitary in your house, you're the person who welcomes the president over for dinner or whatever. Um, you're the one who welcomes uh, the, the, you know, the... Think about the, the company president coming over for dinner or something like that. And when she arrives, it's like, oh, she's a great, honorable person in your house. And you're slowly, um, you know, the one who hosts is often seen as lower than the celebrity guest who arrives. But he's saying, no, if you welcome the celebrity guest in your house, you are also a celebrity guest. So if you welcome the prophet, the righteous one, which wink, wink, Jesus, you receive the same beloved status in the eyes of the Father. So again, it's this grace that just gets poured out. And he says, and this is going to apply to you folks as you go out in my name. When they welcome you, they're welcoming me. So um, just, again, this just giving away righteousness <laughs> without mm. having to earn it. It's just this beautiful thing. So uh, that's, it's, it's powerful. That's good. Well, what a great place to stop. All right. Well, until... We get to deeper and deeper into summer. We'll see you again as we as we start to talk about the sixth Sunday after Pentecost as we move through ordinary time. Until then, do whatever it is you need to do to remember that God loves you. Somebody's looking, somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.